you all kept a secret from me, you're dirty, rotten people. I was extremely blessed. Thank you. Uh, I, I, you, you got me. You totally got me. And um, all this time, in all three services, I said, I hate surprises. And, I, and you, none of you said, well, there is a surprise for you. I, you'd have been my friend. You just wouldn't have been Heather's friend. So I, thank you guys. You're great. Hey, everybody on our online campus, thanks for joining us today. Can we welcome everybody at the Juvenile Detention Center and joining us online? So glad y'all are here. Woo! Palm Sunday. I grew up in the Methodist church and it was a big deal. I remember being a kid in the Artesian Methodist church walking in and we were given real palm branches and we were celebrating Hosanna, Hosanna. It's the beginning of Holy Week. Next week we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today we have to stop and pause and think and chew on what is this week about in our faith? Now, if you're here today, and you, let's just say you're not a Jesus follower. You're here because you're curious, you're inquisitive, you want to know what is this Jesus all about. I'm glad you're here. Because this is Super Bowl weekend for us. This is the beginning of the anticipation and excitement of everything that we believe in, everything that we put our hope in. Everything that we base our relationship with Jesus on. And I want to encourage you to lean in. And one of the things we're going to lean in today is what's the story behind the palm branches? A lot of believers don't even know the story behind it. Other than when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, children and adults alike celebrated him coming on this donkey colt with palm branches. They knew the Messiah was coming. And they said, Hosanna! Hosanna! But there's an interesting story behind these palm branches. It starts with a group of people called the Maccabees. The Maccabees are a fantastic group of historical figures that you really need to get to know, especially if you're a military buff, if you're somebody who likes ancient wars and, and guerrilla warfare, you're going to love the Maccabees. The Maccabees is a group of family. It's a family that during their time before, about 200 years before Jesus, the Maccabees were found in a very hard situation. The Syrians had moved into Jerusalem and made life miserable for the Jewish people. They tortured them. They abused them. They killed them. And the Maccabee family stepped up and decided enough was enough. There was a man by the name of Judas Maccabee who led this guerrilla warfare. It wasn't an army like you would think. It was all of these citizens of Jerusalem, started by the Maccabees, that just began to have guerrilla warfare with the Syrians. It turned into some of the things that you may look at today and think, well, that's just always been in Jewish history. But the menorah is an amazing historical object that comes from the Maccabee story. They found victory. Um, Judah, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Jerusalem was set free. The Syrians fled. But when Judas Maccabee entered, to Jerus entered Jerusalem, the tradition of the palm branch started. And they said, Maccabees, Maccabees. And, and they, were, they just honored the Maccabees for what they had done. So this tradition continued every year. And when a Messiah-like person was coming in, they would pull out the palm branches. 
and they would celebrate this new deliverer. Because now the Syrians were gone, but the Romans had entered. And when the Jewish people saw Jesus, they saw somebody that was going to finally be the general that led the revolt against the Romans. In fact, when you look at why the people that day were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, it was because of the promised Messiah. But a lot of them weren't saying it based on the Messiah Jesus was supposed to be. They were actually saying Messiah based on the Jesus they wanted him to be. And in all reality, and I think this is safe to say, saying Hosanna that day, they were actually saying something more like this. Jesus, be Judas Maccabee. Be Judas Maccabee. The Syrians are gone. The Romans are back. Come be our deliverer, and let's finally take it to the Romans. Our deliverer is here. Except, when you look at the history of Jesus, the Romans were not his enemy. Jesus actually died for the Romans, too. And the story of the palm branch that we're going to look at today is this question that I think we need to ask ourselves. And it stems from, what do you want Jesus to be? And are we wanting to be Jesus that he's supposed to be? Or do we want Jesus to be the Jesus we want him to be? In all reality, here's the question. Why do you celebrate Jesus? Why do you celebrate Jesus? Is it because... You want everything that God wants for you? Or do you want Jesus to be everything you want him to be for you? And today's message is designed for us to examine the reasons why we follow Jesus. So let's do something real quick, okay? If you have your Bibles, I want you to get them open. Go to John chapter 12. Go, go, go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You're going to find John, the fourth gospel you're going to find 12 right after 11, in between 13. It's going to be great. John chapter 12, verse 13. And we're going to read this story, okay? You can follow it on the screen, and I want to read it to you. And it goes like this. Now, let me just tell you real quick. I am talking to you about the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. But I've kind of gone back a little bit further. Because in the middle of this story of Jesus coming and Holy Week beginning, there's a lot of things surrounding this story we need to pay attention to. So we're going to read a little bit, and there's a reason why. It starts with this. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointing the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Let me talk about this, Mary, real quick. This isn't Mary, the mother of God. This is actually Mary with a questionable background. Okay? This is Mary who shows us how to worship Jesus. This is Mary that has been forgiven of so much demon possession, a, a, a horrible lifestyle of, with men, and Mary who does, knows that she doesn't deserve 
salvation. And yet Jesus saved her anyway. This is a really cool Mary. And so she breaks this oil flask, and it goes on, and it says, But one of his disciples, Judas, Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared about the poor, but actually because... He was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put into it. And this is John writing from a perspective. Wasn't it funny that people made donations, but then the next thing you knew, we didn't have any money? Wasn't it interesting that we were all hungry, but Judas just always seemed full? Wasn't it interesting that we needed clothes, but Judas always had the best clothes? Judas here is making a big deal about somebody's worship, but it's not worship that he's admiring. It's what he's supposed to be getting out of it. But Jesus said to him, hey, let her alone. She has kept this for my day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. Then we go on. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came. Not for Jesus' sake only, but that they may catch up, might, might see Lazarus as well. Lazarus was a rock star. Lazarus is the guy that was dead, stayed dead for four days, and Jesus rose him from the dead. Everybody wanted to see him. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So here you have an issue breaking out that the people are fascinated with the Lazarus story and they are even more fascinated with Jesus because of the Lazarus story and they're losing people in the Jewish synagogue to go and follow Jesus. And they realize we've got to do something about this Jesus guy. The next day, a great multitude had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it. And as it was written, and this is prophetic word, this is, this is an Old Testament scripture that is now coming true. Fear not, daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said amongst themselves, you see, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Guys, we're not accomplishing anything. We're losing people. Look, the world has gone after him. Today I wanted to show you this broad story, broader than it could be preached because there's a lot of things happening all around. 
Jesus is fulfilling prophetic scripture. The kingdom of God is happening right before everyone's eyes. Kingdom of God is happening right here, right now. And everyone is a part of it, but then again, they're not a part of it. It's kind of like if you've ever tried to take a vacation. Have you ever tried to take a vacation and people turned to you and said, oh, it's so great you're getting away. And you thought so too at one time when you planned this vacation, but now you're getting closer and all the jokers you've got to work with to finally get on the, on the bus that gets you onto the plane. It's like at some point, everybody around you that sees you're going on vacation is jealous. But if they only knew the backstory, what's happening around you and how difficult it is to get people to, to pack, to get people up, to get people on the plane, the attitudes, the, the hidden agendas, the I wants, I wants, the I wants, you just kind of wish everybody else stayed home and you got to go on the vacation. And this is Jesus coming and fulfilling prophecy. But on the side, not everybody's on the same page. Today we're going to look at this story and you don't even realize it yet. But there are people that I mentioned in what we just read that really is going to shine a light on us. And what's going to happen with these three people that we look at today that are in this story, you're going to maybe get to take a look at that you have more in common with them than you might think you do. And today is a mirror message. A mirror message is designed not to look at the person next to you, but to examine yourself. Mirrors are made to look into, to see if there's any changes that need to take place in me. Do I need to fix something? Does something need to be corrected? This is not somebody else's message today. In fact, I've had to preach it to myself all week long. And I have found a little bit of me in all three of the examples today. And my suggestion would be this. If you're in this room and you're not a Jesus follower, I think you should still leave in, lean in. Because one of the reasons that you might not be a Jesus follower could be found in one of the people we find today. And I want you to pay attention. And for those in the room that are Jesus followers, and you are so a part of the celebration of Jesus, I still want you to look at some of these people who you would assume are two. But it goes to a question. The question is, why are you really following Jesus? Is it for his plan or would you like for him to do your plan? And we need to take a look at this today. The first individual that we're going to take a look at today is a man by the name of Caiaphas. Caiaphas is a very, very powerful man. He is the high priest. He has a lot of political power. He, his word is law. He sneezes and people run to him with handkerchiefs and Kleenexes. He is the man. He has an interesting backstory. He's worked his whole life positioning for power. He's realized that in this religious system, there is a political system. And he's worked this political system very well. Even to the point, 
Caiaphas married well. It was a strategic marriage. He needed it. He wanted it. And the girl that he married, her dad, which is Caiaphas' father-in-law, was a high priest. And then all of his brothers-in-law, five of them, were high priests before him. So Caiaphas entered into a family of great stature and power. And he was so powerful that he actually stayed longer than all the other high priests. For 18 years, he served as high priest, and he was very proud of his position. Even the Roman government realized that if we didn't have Caiaphas on our side, we wouldn't get far. So they went to Caiaphas and negotiated with him and said, not only do we want you to be high priest, remain in your position. We don't want to change anything. But now we're going to offer you the governor to be the governor of Rome. And he would serve not only on a religious system, but now also on a political system. And let's not mention, this was extremely popular to his pocketbook. He gained great wealth, both as high priest and Roman governor. And so, when you see Jesus entering into Jerusalem, and people are leaving the synagogue, and people are not trusting these religious leaders who have just led them to death and destruction, and, and there's no life. And then you have Jesus who is showing you the life of Christ, the, the heart of God, what it is to be the Son of God, how his kingdom has come, his will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of these things are bringing life to people. He fills, and you ready for this word? It's a word I think you know very well. Caiaphas feels threatened. Now, we would never jump out and ever admit if we felt threatened. We would never want to feel like we were threatened and let people know that we're threatened. But down deep, some of our biggest issues are based around as we feel threatened. If your kid gets in trouble at school, there was a day our parents didn't get, they didn't get threatened. They're like, this is my kid. I raised him. I don't feel threatened, but I will do some threatening when my son gets home. But in today's day and age, parents, when a teacher questions a child's behavior at school, they don't question the kid of, why did you do this? They think their parenting is being questioned. And so the defenses go up and they get angry and nobody, amen. It's no parents in this room. I know that none of you are in this room. Okay? Now, some of our biggest regrets in life have come from an inability to recognize when we feel threatened. We feel dumb. We feel like our kingdom is being taken away from us. We feel like what I earned is being taken away from me. And when it came to Caiaphas, him and Jesus had some words. And it's not exactly the words maybe you heard from Jesus. Let me, let me show you the words that Jesus spoke to Caiaphas. Jesus said this, you serpent. That's not exactly kind of what you would expect. He is the high priest. He is the governor. And Jesus said, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? So the one thing that Caiaphas sees, and, and, and he experienced Jesus coming into Jerusalem too. 
Everyone heard about it. Everyone heard about it. And Caiaphas felt threatened. And my question to you is, does Jesus threaten you? I mean, honestly, if the pastor gets up and talks about all the prosperity and all the happiness and all the joy, but what if the pastor came to you and said, guys, it's going to get hard. And, and it's going to get so difficult. It, you, like what Jesus said, it, it can't be grape juice and crackers anymore. You, you have to take his blood and his body. And it's the same thing Jesus said when he said, take my blood and body. And the words are hard, but the truth is there. What if you lost everything? Because Jesus said, you have to give up everything to follow me. When the rich one young ruler came to Jesus and said, I do this and I do this and I, I pray more than anybody else. I tithe 20%. I, I, I do this and I do this and I do this. What must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, go home. Give everything you have to the poor. And the young man said, I could never do that. And he turned around and he walked away from Jesus. And the reality is, is that we're all fine and good until what we love the most is threatened. And we have to ask a plan. We have to ask what is the plan? To keep what we got or to lose everything and follow Jesus. This story of Caiaphas continues. It found in what we just read. So then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered counsel and said, because there was a big meeting, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. We can't compete with the signs and wonders he does. If we let him alone, if we just leave Jesus alone, everyone will start believing in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and the nation. Did you hear that? If we just leave this alone, the Romans will come to us and say, we thought you guys were in charge. Maybe we should have made Jesus governor. He seems to control the people pretty well. It will lose everything if we don't take care of this Jesus. And then one of them, and this is great, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, guys, you know nothing at all. This is the words Caiaphas said to them. He said, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. And he's stepping in and he's going, you don't realize we can save the day if we remove the one who threatens us the most. Forget his truth. Forget our part in God's plan. Forget that we're spiritual leaders and we should just be able to add one plus one equals two and see that this has been prophesied forever. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy all around us. We are experts at the law. We are experts in the truth. We are experts in the, the writings of our prophets. And we don't see that Jesus is the Messiah. So we can't see it because we want our kingdom to be built so badly that we're blind to the truth. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest, and this is really interesting. I want you guys to look at this. That year as high priest, he gave a prophetic word to the entire Jewish people. That year he prophesied, and listen closely, that Jesus would die for the nation hmm, that 
not that the nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Now, that's amazing. Caiaphas, inspired by the Holy Spirit, actually gave a prophecy that year as he stood in temple and said, Jesus will die and he will pull the nation, and not only the nation, the whole world together. And was he wrong? No. He was exactly right. But it goes to show you how blind Caiaphas was. That even being inspired by the Holy Spirit, giving a correct prophetic word about Jesus' death and the unity that it would cause, did not see what God was talking about because he was so wrapped up in building his own kingdom and salvaging everything he had worked so hard for. Then, from that day on, Caiaphas considered his job to plot and to put him to death. The story continues. It says, therefore, my father, oh, wait, wait, this, is, this, this is Jesus speaking. Let's just be clear. Caiaphas did not take Jesus' life. Jesus gave his life for us. Even in our blindness, Caiaphas has so much to relate to us that we can be so blind by what we've got, we can't see what God is actually doing. Caiaphas didn't take Jesus' life. Jesus said these words. Therefore, my father loves me because... I lay down my life that I might take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down from, of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. So our first example here today is Caiaphas. And like I said a minute ago, there's a little bit of Caiaphas in all of us. What I'm about to tell you next is the lesson that we can learn. I want you to lean into this, and we're going to go to the next person, okay? And I want to talk to everybody in the room that the more that you follow Jesus, it feels like you're expected to lose something. What farmer ever puts a seed in the ground without letting go of it? Come on, think about that. What farmer ever puts a seed in the ground, two days later goes back and dig it up to see if it's there? How have you done, dude? A farmer is expected to have faith. And what you sow and let go of is something you must believe and trust. That in God's perfect timing, in his revelation, in, 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 the, in the excellence that his kingdom is, by faith, what you sow and let go of will turn into a harvest someday. But if you keep fighting for the things that don't belong to you, you will lose everything. I'm going to say that again so I'm crystal clear. If you thought, I thought he thought, I think Pastor Ty just made a mistake. He said, if I fight for what's mine, I'll end up losing everything. Okay, let me just say it again. If you hold on to everything you think you deserve, 
if you hold on to everything God's blessed you with and then asked you for, if you hold on to your kingdom, if you hold on to the very things that God's asking you to release, everything you hold on to will become nothing. It's one of the hardest lessons. It's one of the worst things when you fight for something because it's mine, God, you can't take this. And you look down and it's just maggots. Ah, when you hold on to something because you gave me this, God, and it just turns to rust. There's a little bit of Caiaphas in all of us when we want to jockey for position and we're not willing to surrender to God. So listen to the sentence I put together. And it's a build-up sentence. It's meant to crescendo. It starts like this. When the pressure to preserve what you have. I'm just going to stop right there. When you feel the pressure to preserve what you have, okay, overpowers the desire for God's will. When the pressure to keep it, when the pressure to fight for it, when the pressure to preserve what you have overpowers the desire for God's will. May I become less and you become more. God, don't let me make a kingdom on this earth and never experience your kingdom in heaven. When the pressure to preserve what you have overpowers the desire for God's will. Are you ready? The value and significance of what we have begins to diminish. When you want to fight for your things, when God's asking for them, your things just begin to diminish. When you fight for relationships that God's asking you to trust him with and to give up, your relationships start to diminish. When you fight for a job more than you desire to follow God, your job starts to lose its value. When you choose to be with other people instead of being where God wants you to be, those people are no longer a blessing in your life, but can actually be a curse in your life. And in Caiaphas' case, he was God's leader. But when he fought for his political power, financial power, his leverage, he officially began the digression in his life. Instead of following the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who was standing right next to him. In Caiaphas' case... If he would have just simply turned to Jesus and say, there's no doubt that you are the Messiah. But how do I walk away from that to follow you? Jesus would have turned to him and said, come on. You think leading that's great? Come follow me and see what I have for you to lead. Sounded like a lot of fishermen, huh? You think catching fish is great? Come follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. Second person we have to talk about, and he's in this story, is Judas. I mean, hey, Judas isn't a fun guy to talk about, but he once was a fun guy. Judas, 
and all in counts and purposes, you can see, loved Jesus. I truly believe it. Judas would not have followed Jesus if he not had loved him. He saw the miracles. He heard the preaching. His heart was touched. When you see Jesus talk about eat my body, drink my blood, and all the disciples left, all but 12, was it not Judas that stuck around? Judas had decided that he was going to follow Jesus. So, What's the story with Judas? How come he became the man who betrayed Jesus? And the reason why is because, let me just tell you, Judas' story is relevant to us because there is something in all of us that wants to leverage God and his power for our ends. And let me just tell you what this meant. Judas loved Jesus, but he began to notice the Maccabee story. Now think of the Maccabee story. The Maccabees come in. We got Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. The Syrians leave. And if Jesus is the Messiah that all the Jews say he's going to be, this is the guy that's going to get rid of the Romans. This is the guy that's going to be the leader of the Jews now. Heck, he comes from the family of David. He's got general material in him. The moment the Romans are gone, Jesus is going to establish his government. Heck, he's talking about kingdom, right? And wouldn't it be smart for Jesus? He can't run everything, but he can put leaders and strategic people, make them governors over this land now that belongs to Israel. This is how he's thinking. And who would he have in charge other than the guys that followed him? And so I'm going to start managing his budget for him. I'll take the offering. And as long as this helps me, I'll follow Jesus. Did you hear that? And one of the most dangerous views on your theology is, as long as this benefits me, I'll follow Jesus. Okay, I bet when I preach that it's going to get hard before it gets easy. I bet that makes you really nervous, huh? Like what if following Jesus cost you everything? When I turn to you and say, your home is not this earth. Your home is heaven. Don't get comfortable here. Don't get used to everything here. Heck, if they take your life here, you'll close your eyes on earth and open them in heaven. I bet you're thinking, oh, that's great, as long as it benefits me. I mean, do I have a good mansion in heaven or a really good one in in heaven? Will will my mother-in-law be mowing my lawn? That's all I want to know. And the dangerous things, the dangerous things about some people's faith, I'll follow Jesus if it benefits me. And that was Judas's mindset too. He began to get a little tired of Jesus. He began to notice that as people wanted to come on and glorify him, Jesus kind of pushed it away. He began to notice that when Jesus talked about his kingdom. It wasn't a kingdom of establishment. It was the kingdom of servanthood. And it began to make Jesus a little nervous because I really kind of thought I was going to be governor someday. There was a few things Judas began to notice about Jesus. One, it seemed he was a little too passive at times. I mean, wouldn't it be great if Jesus preached a better political message? Jesus, tell us who to vote for. I mean, jump in. 
Either be red or blue or purple or green or do something, Jesus. I mean, you could stir the crowds if you just would kind of talk bad about the Romans every now and then. But every now and then the Romans show up at your message and your message doesn't change and you end up leading Romans to Jesus. To Jesus, you get it? Come follow me, Romans, come follow me. And they do. And aren't they our enemies? And Jews began to get a little upset because he was, Jesus started just being a little too passive at times. Some other things, Jesus, he didn't seem to hate the Romans enough. In fact, he, he, he paid taxes. Judas was thinking, okay, he wouldn't, he wouldn't get organized and assign positions. Jesus would just kind of show up and preach, and people would follow him. And he would show up and preach, and they would follow him. And you didn't find him out there jockeying for political positions. In fact, he was so unorganized, when are we going to put this army together? We need generals. We need leaders. We need to start getting some arms. We're going to battle and Jesus keeps talking about battle, but he says the battle's not against flesh and blood. And, and it, you know, it, it, Paul said this, but Jesus talked about our enemies, and this isn't your enemy. We love your enemies, is what Jesus said. And, and Jews would get nervous because Jesus would, he wouldn't cooperate with the Jewish followers and the Jewish, the Jewish rulers. I mean, come on, all the people were following Jesus. Now would be a good time, according to Judas, to walk into the temple and go, okay, guys, listen, they're all following me. They're not big fans of you right now. But if you give me a spot on the council and get my boys here a spot on this council, we can make it to where everybody starts liking you again. And Judas is saying, hey, we've got the leverage, Jesus. Let's use it to our benefit. Jesus wasn't concerned about building a war chest. All of these things. I mean, can I, can I turn to you and tell you? I feel too as a pastor when you stinking people want to come to me and ask me to preach on politics and to preach on who to vote for. And when I turn to you and say, we're going to follow Jesus. Should we wear a mask, not wear a mask? Should we get the shot, not get the shot? And I turn to you and go, you know what you're going to do? You're going to follow Jesus. And you go, well, I'm going to go to a church where they're going to stand up for our rights. I want to turn to you and say, you don't have any rights. You don't have any rights. Don't, don't wave the American flag here. Though I'm an American, I love the American. We didn't come here to be better Americans. We came here to be Christ followers. And if this makes you mad, if you're in the room going, oh, no. Oh, come on. Do you think you're going to walk into heaven and they're going to go, why should you be here? And you go, well, I'm an American. <laughs> you, know, you know what <laughs> means in the Greek? <laughs> I am not here today to make you a better American. I'm in the belief that as a Jesus follower, you're going to go into this world and make this place a better world. And Jesus said, you can go preach my name and they'll kill you. Are you ready to die for Jesus? That's me waving the flag. And you don't see how many people's following that? Not that many. Until we realize there's a little bit of Judas in all of us. And Judas is asking Jesus to be something that Jesus says, that's not who I am. I'm here for the Jews first. 
and the Gentiles second. I, my father loved the whole, the whole world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And let me just tell you, I'm so proud to be an American. But I am a Christian American. Not an American Christian. Well, I'm, it's okay. Hey, listen, you already gave me the cards. You can't take them back yet. Now, you already signed the card. You already put something funny on there. They were great cards, by the way. Man, you people, y'all bought me so many Cabela's gift cards. Y'all are, y'all are awesome. I'm just telling you right now. You're incredible. But if you're mad at me right now, all the Cabela people that were like, I, th- I bet he buys gunpowder. I bet he buys bullets. I'm going to go buy a fluffy toy. No, I'm, here's the deal. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 14, then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? You know what this is saying? When he saw that following Jesus was not going to produce what he thought he could get, he cut his losses, and now he's willing to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. You mean, you mean to show you how it goes? Remember a minute ago I said, if you keep what Jesus is asking you to walk away from, it immediately starts diminishing. Look at the story. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, This is after he had betrayed Jesus. This is after he had kissed Jesus on the cheek and he realized he messed up, was remorseful. He didn't go home and go, that was a great trade. Jesus for 30 pieces. He realized he messed up. And brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying an innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the, three, the, 30, the, the pieces of silver in the temple and departed. And how bad did this hurt that he meet, realized that he got his way and walked away from Jesus? He went and hanged himself. At some point, all of us tempted to trade. Okay, this is, this is kind of my little add-on. At some point, all of us are tempted to trade our relationship with Christ for something or somebody, usually because of disappointment. So here's a question I have for you. What are you most tempted to trade Jesus in for? Are you most tempted to trade Jesus in for your friends? Trade Jesus in for a, for a great relationship. I need a girlfriend. I need a boyfriend. Are you willing to trade in Jesus for a better spot on the political scene? If you are. For a better paycheck. For a higher promotion. If you are. You got a little bit of Judas in you. Third one, third and final one. And this happens to be one of my most favorite ones. It's one that I get to talk to my friends who aren't Jesus followers. And right after this, I'm going to be done. Right after this is a quick one. 
But this guy doesn't have a name. We only know him as the thief on the cross. This story becomes real on Friday. As a man who walked down the wrong path, chose the wrong things, he apparently committed a crime so bad that they just bypassed jail. This man that we only know as the thief on the cross was encouraged to suicide, but he never did. So they just went ahead and took him to the cross, and he knew the cross was going to be painful. He knew it was going to be horrible. He knew life was bad. I can't imagine all the things that this guy had been through how his parents betrayed him, how his friends betrayed him, how society betrayed him. Everyone was out to get him. He had nobody in his life because he had apparently done something so bad. His family didn't want to have anything to do with him. His friends didn't have anything to want to do with him. He, he continued to go deeper and deeper into this that finally the Roman government decided the best thing to do for this guy is just to kill him. No one will miss him. It's better for all of us if he's just dead. And the most dangerous thing about this man, we know that he was on the cross and he turned to Jesus and he cursed Jesus and cursed Jesus. I hate you. You say you're the son of God, but you're hanging on a cross. You're no son of God. You're not the Messiah. And as he's lashing out, he's actually drawing from a pain that his whole life has been pain. And I want to talk to everybody in the room. That you would blame God for all the pain you've been through. You would see God in correlation with the pain that you've experienced in life. In short, it would sound like this. I hate God because this happened to me. God's evil because this world is evil. God's bad because this world is bad. And can I just stop and show you something? This man is 12 feet away from Jesus, but the pain of his life is causing him to curse God instead of recognize that his salvation is right there. God, God is not what you have experienced. I'm going to say it again. Our good, awesome, generous, loving, peaceful, kind God the God that is 12 feet away from this man, giving his life for this man, is 12 feet away from him. And because of the pain he's been through in life and the way he hates life and people so much, it's blinding him from the fact that the very love of God is hanging right next to him. And let me show you something. Disappointment with life easily becomes disappointment with God. 
disappointment, if you've experienced it, if you have experienced the worst of people, if you've experienced the worst of people who call themselves Christians, if you've experienced the worst of bosses, the worst of employers, the worst of teachers, the worst of people, can I turn to you and say that is no reflection of God? And you've got to quit blaming God for something he had nothing to do with. And you've got to start recognizing that your disappointment with life easily has become a disappointment with God. And God didn't do the things that happened to you. But God is here for you, possibly 12 feet away, to rescue us. And a great question, have. Have you confused life with God? Let me just say something. God... God's not your life. God sent Jesus to bring you life. And you're just the eye-opening moment to realize he's right here. But you keep being blinded by all that's happened to you and all the things that have distracted, all the things that have messed with you. And if you would stop and realize that the Son of God is here in this holy week and you could have a lot to do with the thief on the cross and not recognize Jesus himself is just 12 feet away from you. And God didn't cause the life you went through. If you would decide to follow him, he actually brings the life you're looking for. In all sensitivity, let me say this, life happens. Life has happened to me. Life has happened to all kinds of people in this room. If you heard my testimony last week, you know that I, did, I thought I wouldn't live long because life happened. But one thing I was able to see at a young age, it, God can be trusted. And the greatest things that have ever happened in my life has happened because I chose to see Jesus. Even while I was hanging on my cross in all intents and purposes, my trouble got me here but he told me I don't have to stay there. Let me say a few things. Number one, as long as your fists are clenched, you can't receive what you need the most. As long as you stay mad at everybody, as long as you stay mad at God, you won't be able to receive what you really need the most. Number two, When you open your hands and surrender, when you finally (sighs) surrender to God, instead of clenching your fists in anger, you become a candidate for God's giving, life-defining grace. When you finally open your hands. And the third thing, and, and really get this, come on, get this, get this. And when you throw your hands up and surrender, you may discover answers to the questions that have controlled you for years. You may have more in common with a thief on the cross than you think you do. God didn't do it to you. But God is ready to work through you. If you just take those fists that you're really proud of, by the way, and surrender them and let go 
and let God be the God who for so many people in this room has pulled you out of, delivered you from, parted the Red Sea, opened the doors, closed other doors, became the God that led your life, directed your life, and became the God that you realize life truly comes from. So, on this Palm Sunday, do we say, Judas, Bara- Ju- Ju- Judas Maccabee, Judas Maccabee, just come on and be the God I need you to be. See, that's a good rap right there. <laughs> Judas Maccabee, Judas Maccabee, come and be the God I want you to be. Next year. Can we do that one next year? No, that was not what, we're not doing that one. Or, or, are you ready to let go of the leverage you have to keep what you got, the permission to let go of the things you want to be to be who God wants you to be, to be able to let go of the fist and to walk with the open hand to say, God, I need you. God, I'm so glad you came. Hosanna, Hosanna, deliver me from me. Deliver me from me. Deliver me from me. Father, today I pray for my friends. All over this room. And I pray that right now, underneath our breath, we begin to just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you don't give up on us, that you're still speaking to us, that we aren't lost, we aren't forgotten, we aren't buried in our lives so deep that we can't see you. But Jesus, today, every one of us have been confronted with the reality of you. Jesus, forgive us for any time we ever chose something and we didn't choose you. Forgive us of our selfishness and our, and our leveraging. Forgive us of our anger and, our, and our, us holding against you something that life did to us. Father, today we give you our life. All over this room people are praying, Jesus, I put my faith in you. Jesus, I put my trust in you. I don't understand but I have faith that you know what to do. I believe in you. And I pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray.